Welcome back to the Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for love, lack of insight, and for baseless opinions. Today is the 4th of May. May the 4th be with you. And this is episode 293. My name is Jake English. And I am Scott Magnus. And I'm Charlie Hoppus. Charlie, what are you you doing here? No, it's cool, guys. It's cool. I'm just here. It's that's cool. That's cool, right? Charlie, we have rules, right? We have we have guests on the program. We call them up. They show up for the second segment of the show. That's what we do here. Yeah. Okay. But like I'm drinking this week and I know that you guys do drink of the week and I wanted to tell everyone about that. I wanted, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I miss the Brian Roberts watch. Do you guys still do that? That's not a thing, is it? I mean, on occasion uh, it is. We're not even sure Brian Roberts is a thing at this point. It's true. See, I didn't want to miss out on any of that stuff. So, uh, right. and well, I'm Charlie Hoppus. If you're going to treat our rules like they're nothing, you're going to fit in just fine. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> on this week's show, we'll go around the bases to see if we remember how. And we'll also invite Charlie Hoppus in to uh, see what a Baltimore sports three-way feels like. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate for the show. That's right. It's time for Charlie. It's time for the drink of the week. What are you all drinking this week? Well, because I don't leave the house, I'm still working through the several cases of delicious Michelob Ultra that were procured for me uh, from our local beer store. But I do have to tell you, I am going to encroach heavily on the Baltimore winos um, from uh, <laughs> from one of our friendly uh, podcasts. We uh, got a lot of wine sent to our house. Like first it started with tastings, but then we started like ordering boxes of wine. And so we are going to, my wife and I are going to do wine tastings throughout the rest of this um, lockdown. So uh, (laughs) O's wind up. I'm going to have questions and um, there's going to be a lot of just sad red wine nights for Jake in the future. Oh, I'm sorry. Too, too, too much? Scotty, what are you drinking? Uh, Jake, I'm doing a blue coat gin martini this evening uh, with a orange peel at the very bottom of it. Um, I've coated the rim of the martini glass with a little bit of that orange zest essence. Uh, so, yeah, uh, a fancy drink for a fancy evening. Make me look like a schmuck. Charlie, help me out here. What are you drinking? I am drinking an orange vanilla polar, which is a type of seltzer water. Very familiar with it. Bollock. Yeah. It tastes, yeah, it tastes uh, kind of like somebody melted down a creamsicle, yeah. but uh, then made it bad and filled it with bubbles. It sounds about right. Well, you're really selling it. Also, do these people know who I am? I feel like I've been out of the game a while. I, I, nobody knows who who this person is that they're having to listen to talk about Polar. I feel like if people are listening to this show... They have the kind of decision making <laughs> that leads to knowing who Charlie Hop is. Yeah, okay. Let's let's play it your way, Charlie. Who who are you? Uh, I mean, that's sort of a loaded question. But I think for the the purposes of this show, I once was a co-host of a podcast uh, called Oriole Spastics, which was the one and only Arrested Development slash Baltimore Orioles podcast. 
um, we existed for about 10% of the amount of episodes that you all have been around <laughs> for. Um, but you know, we burned, we burned bright. We burnt, burned for a short period. Um, Scott, so, is this is this the time where I make the Icarus reference of the podcast? Uh, you can make the Icarus <laughs> reference. He <laughs> comes up way too much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie, you were the co-host of one of my favorite Orioles podcasts. Um, considering that I do one, that that's you know high praise. But I have to tell you, I listened to your show before I watched Arrested Development and still enjoyed it. So whatever the magic sauce is, you got it, kid. <laughs> we had it we had it it's been it's been a long time since uh the show's been off the air and unlike the actual arrested development we know better to just stay away um than to come back and make something a poor version of of what was once great so you hear me out what if you made a mediocre version <laughs> of what was once great uh I, I don't know what dean and chris are even up to these days is we we're in touch, but not as you know how it can be with podcasting. You're in touch with the other person all the time. You know it really grinds on you. It forces you to try new things, like inviting a third person into your show. Wait, Chambers, Scott, Scott, what? Do we need counseling? Uh, <laughs> we'll get there later on the show, Jake. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, hey, if you're interested to hear what we're drinking throughout the week perhaps while Scott and I are in counseling, uh, come get social on untapped with us. I'm at Jake E four zero two five. And if you want to hear about our marriage counseling, marriage issues, uh, you can follow me on M A G eight, six zero six on untapped. Uh, with that, Jake, why don't we go over to the medical wing and figure out, uh, what's going on with our Orioles players. All right, so uh, the Trey Mancini, uh, we obviously know what's going on with Trey, um, but I thought there was a really great article that I wanted to mention because it really had no better place than at this point. Um, Trey Mancini came out and, and posted in the Players' Tribune article, and I tell you what, if, if you didn't read that and pretty much break down and cry, not break down and cry, um, something was wrong with you. I mean, just some really touching moments. Um, you know, some of his comments and conversations with Mo um, have really been special, and then there was a moment also on Twitter um, with all of uh, the Orioles players and player development folks all coming back and specifically reaching out to Trey uh, during this time. But yeah, you know, I don't know when you, when you hear Trey Mancini and you think about him and then you hear that he had stage three colon cancer, it, it, it puts things in perspective, I guess. But I mean, Jake, what did you think about the, the players tribune article that Trey wrote? I, I thought it was great. And and I don't know much about the Players' Tribune. I mean, when Jeter retired and said he was going to do this thing, it is Jeter, right? I, I guess so. I mean, it, it isn't uh, everything Jeter at this point? <laughs> I, I thought that it was going to be garbage. But if it's all like this, it was fantastic. I You know, obviously, you know, there's probably a, a ghostwriter that, that helped, I assume. Um, but it, it was a, a very heartfelt um, piece. And you're right. I mean... You know, we had no doubt that Trey was a good, a good guy, but reading through that, you just 
underlined, you know, him having his heart in the right place and his priorities in the right place. And, you know, it was, it was uplifting, you know, he kept talking about how lucky he was. And, you know, when he talked about, um, how lucky he was to have the medical care that he, he got, you know, being associated with the Orioles, um, you know, he said he, he probably wouldn't have caught it in time otherwise if he hadn't been a major league baseball player. That just, you know, that was pretty moving. And, um, yeah, I, obviously we were all pulling for him before, but, uh, boy, howdy. I, I also appreciated him, you know, opening up and, and letting the rest of us in to what is a, a personal time. I don't know, Charlie, what did you think? I don't really have much to add. It was, it was beautiful. If you haven't had a chance to read it, please do. Um, I mean, Trey, Trey's obviously going to be one of those Orioles that when we look back in, in 10 years on this stretch of Orioles baseball, we're going to remember him fondly. Like we've remembered, you know, Melvin Mora and players like that. We're going to remember, uh, we're going to remember Trey Mancini. And so to, read about this and to see what an amazing spirit he has in addition to just being obviously a great clubhouse leader and a great baseball player. Um, just wonderful, wonderful, hard to read. Um, but also at the same time, just really hope giving. Absolutely. Well, now that we've, uh, you know, tackled the light and, and, uh, funny aspects of the podcast, let's go to the Twitter, shall we? This week on the Twitters to find out what happened in the Orioles world, 280 characters at a time. Uh, I listened to a lot of, of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and this sounded a lot like that program this week. This is a tweet that comes from Kevin Brown, who can be found at Kevin N. Brown. He said, I'll leave a voicemail for half a game check. This was a response to our good friends at Utah Street Report saying what it wouldn't give for the soothing sounds of Kevin Brown right now, even during another 10 to two Orioles loss. Whenever we get them again, I'll appreciate it all that much more. Scotty, if you could get one message from Kevin Brown in your voicemail, what would it be? Um, I think it would be, hi everybody. This is Kevin Brown. Let me turn it over to Joe angel here to uh, record the rest <laughs> of this message. Man. Yes. <laughs> wow. I love Kevin Brown, but I, I, I do miss me my Joe Angel. Um but yeah, I, I think like I said, I, I really came around to Kevin last year. Um I'm actually missing him a little bit this year, but at the same time, um everyone posting videos online in terms of Orioles memories, um, and hearing phone uh, radio calls of Joe Angel um with like Ben McDonald, uh, it, it just messes makes me miss um the good old days is the best way to put it. But Again, I'm not going to hold anything against Kevin Brown. He um, he, he he gets an attaboy in my book. Fair enough. All right, what else have we got going on this week? Well, well, Jake, we've been talking about this for the past few weeks, and we were talking about um, you know, the players' league going on for MLB the Show, and uh, everyone losing their minds in terms of Dwight Smith Jr. We called it this was going to happen, where everyone was going to in essence latch onto something that was completely meaningless and make more of a deal than it, it really was. Um, and, and certainly the Orioles did so and, and Dwight Smith was fun to watch, but I wouldn't say it was, you know, engrossing for myself, but again, I'm an old man. Um, but the, the, the Orioles tweeted as follows, uh, the first ever players league manager of the year goes to Dwight Smith jr. Best manager for MLB show players league award. Again, uh, an online league, uh, that lasted a little over two weeks, um, which 
consisted of around 30 games. Uh, great. Um, I, I don't really see why this is necessary, but uh, again, I'm an old man and I'm telling you to get off my lawn. So, um, Scott, <laughs> Scott, am I hearing you call small sample size? Is that what's going on? Oh. I, 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 I'm just saying that uh, I'm not sure if I was in the media slash arts graphics uh, for the Orioles and someone came to me and says, so I need you to make up something to celebrate Dwight Smith Jr. being the best manager uh, within MLB Players League. I'd be like, is the guy even going to be on the team when when, when the season <laughs> starts again? <laughs> I just, it's fine. I'm, I'm glad it was a, a distraction, as it were, in terms of kind of linking some bit of baseball um, for us all. But in reality, this is one of those footnotes that um, we will forget within two or three months. Man, that is so rough. I, I, I'm a huge NBA fan, and the NBA just usually runs laps around, I think, all the other leagues in terms of their online and social media and everything else, and especially baseball. Baseball struggles pretty brutally with that. Um, but I tell you what, the, the NBA had an online basketball tournament that was not half as good as baseball's. And it was because all the baseball players are so weird and got so into it. Uh, you really got to see a bunch of really great personalities and the basketball players were so serious and competitive and boring. Uh, it was so, I don't know. I thought, I, I thought it was awesome. I had a lot of fun with the base, with the, uh, with the show tournament. Charlie, do you think this will continue after the pandemic is over? I, yeah, uh, people watch streamed, gaming all the time um and i mean i think when you're a celebrity of any kind uh you you get that following quicker so there are already gordon hayward who's a a basketball player for the boston celtics uh has a notorious uh is is notorious for his gaming videos and, and and whatnot streamed on twitch um so yeah i think i think it will continue to be big um, it already is fairly big as as it stands. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Charlie that um, I don't think this is going to go anywhere anytime soon. In fact, I think that they were there was such a positive reaction to it that it makes sense for MLB to embrace it um, come next off season um, and and to run with it even potentially for even a longer season, as it were. Um, so I, I certainly think that uh, certain players are going to see the hype that surrounded it and saying I can play better than that. Uh, and I think we're going to see a lot more of this. I don't think it'll reach the level of like Madden does um, in terms of you know celebrity slash NFL players playing in, in it. But I, I do think that we're going to see a lot more of this going forward as it relates to um, social media. Um, and it was you know interesting that even popped onto like um, MLB Network and ESPN um, to kind of broadcast it. Sure. Okay. Our next tweet is from the Bronx Bombers News, who tweet at News Bronx. Three years ago today, the hashtag Yankees came all the way back to beat the hashtag Orioles 14 to 11 in 10 innings. Personally, this is one of the best games I've ever watched. Now, why are we talking about this? (laughs) We have to remember, gentlemen, that our misery is going to be the joy of many others. I remember during the first Dark Ages, watching a game against the Yankees uh, in which Andy Pettit pitched and they, they brought up Andy Pettit's career stats against the Orioles. And they were just, you know, they were absurd. They were video game esque. And I thought, yeah, of course 
he gets to play the Orioles all the time. The Orioles. Of course his career stats against them are awesome. I saw this tweet and I thought to myself, there are there's going to be a generation of New York fans, Boston fans, you know, all, all sorts of other baseball teams who are going to have such fond memories of the complete incompetence of our club. Like, can you imagine the nine-year-old that went to the Mother's Day Massacre game? <laughs> he, he's we, seen three championships that, since then. We are... We are contributing to the joy of other baseball fans. And I, I'm going to try to latch onto that whenever baseball does return and the Orioles fill me with anguish. I I'm just going to try to like troll through the opponent's Twitter and find not the mean spirited one. Cause I, I hate the mean spirited, but, but just the people that, that are filled with, with just sheer joy for what they watched. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can fuel myself. It feels like very Buddhist of you, Jake, to basically say, Hey, I'm willing to accept misery in order to bring happiness in others. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not willing. It's just, it's what's happening. Okay. So I might as well. <laughs> it's like yin and you know. yang almost. Yeah. The, the, th- the one that I've been, this, this will do you one better. The start of the dark ages to me is that, decision to bring in Ubaldo Jimenez instead of Zach Britton, right? Of course. And Charlie, get out. <laughs> that clip has been played on social media in I, I can't even tell you like the Blue Jays broadcasting Twitter has tweeted it out. MLB Cut 4 has tweeted it out. MLB has tweeted it's just like MLB Vault I think tweeted it out. I was like this wasn't even that long ago. Leave us alone. We're having <laughs> We're already locked in our houses. Please. Like, why? Stop. He's already dead. Not, it's not right. I mean, <laughs> I understand why they're they're posting that. And I mean, with the borders currently closed, it's the only thing that we can import into Canada at this time. So. Joy. <laughs> Orioles tears. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are we doing here? All right. Let's go to this next tweet. Um, okay, so this comes from one of my favorite people uh, on Twitter, Matt Kremnitzer. Uh, you can follow him at Matt Kremnitzer. And, and Matt's been going through and, and picking out random memories of um, Orioles from the past. Um, some of them good, some of them bad. Some people remember, some people we don't. Um, but uh, the, this one was the last home run that Adam Jones hit in an Orioles uniform. And we've talked about this, Jake, before in terms of a lot of memories that we have. Um, we even remember when, you know, right before Chris Davis was, you know, re-signed, we thought, because we were at that game, we we're like, well, that, is that going to be the last home run that we see from Chris Davis? And, well, it, it wasn't. We got to see other home runs. Unfortunately, they were overpriced home runs at that time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, looking back at this game when Adam hit this home run, um, I think we knew that the writing was on the wall. wall um, but I don't know if we quite put it together of, you know, how much of a great career that Adam really had here with the Orioles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you know, I, I gotta, I gotta take Matt Kremen sort of to task here. This is, this is ridiculous. The last home run that Adam Jones ever hit in an Orioles uniform. Come on. We have nothing to do. We're all locked inside. Show me all of them. You coward. Bring me all of the Adam Jones home runs. I demand the dogs. All right. So Jake, you are volunteering to put together what three hours worth of content to post on a Twitter. 
Of course not. Okay. It's you, not. It's you want not somebody else lazy. to do that for you. <laughs> it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I'm incompetent. There okay. is a difference. Sir. Gotcha. Our next tweet comes to us from Hardball Talk, who, of course, tweets at Hardball Talk. And it's a it's a tweet about an article that talks about the MLB connections to the Korean baseball organization. But I'm more interested in the Orioles connections to Korean baseball. This was the Wayback Machine for me. Do you know that Aaron Brooks is pitching for the Kia Tigers in the KBO? I didn't. Did you know that uh, Odrizmer Despagne is still alive? I, I did I know did. that. I think he's starting, and I think he's like pitching on opening day. Okay. Well, you're up, you're up on me. Tyler Wilson, I did know, was was in Korea. Uh, Hyunsoo Kim? I did is, know that. He's playing. And Dan Straley, apparently the only place that is safe for him to have a baseball career is in Korea because here in the States, he would be ridden out of, ta- out of town on a rail. I feel but the most, the I, most exciting is, is not any of those folks. Uh-huh. The most exciting Korean baseball player is a Hufflepuff. There is no such thing as Hufflepuffs. Mr. Mike Wright. Oh, uh, not Sean Armstrong. Wow. It, Mike Wright. So not new pitching. Mike Wright. We're talking about old Mike Wright. Yes. Classic. OG Mike Wright. Wow. Yeah. Didn't right? the Orioles like trade Aaron Brooks to the KBO? I have I have so few memories of Aaron Brooks that I didn't store that information. I feel like they traded him back in the day to the KBO, but what am I here to know? But Charlie, Charlie, you seem really impressed about the continued existence of Mike Wright. I'm I yeah I'm I'm baffled um and <laughs> I forgot that the Orioles even had somebody named Aaron Brooks I always remember the old Saints quarterback when I hear Aaron Brooks so that's that's where I, my head is right now I'm I'm lost I'm like doing the math in my head it's not happening it's not happening well gentlemen I am not out of tidbits to discuss for the KBO but of course you're not I don't want to I don't want to blow it all here this week in the Twitters. Let's take a quick break and uh, go around the base. Charlie, is it okay if we take a quick break and, and do around the bases? I've, I've lost all, all control of the rules. Let's take a quick break, and when we'll, we come back, we'll be doing around the bases. All right, Jake, so let's go into first base to begin with, and uh, news came out today. Well, the first news came out that uh, the KBO was going to be broadcast on Twitch, which, again, uh, we talked about earlier with eGames, but then it came out that ESPN would be airing the KBO games um, in their entirety in time. These times can't be right, Jake. It says 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and then there's another one at 5.30 in the morning. This has to be p.m., right? No, no. You see, the Korean baseball organization, Korean baseball, it, the key demographic in the United States is vampires. Oh, okay. And so, uh, or Jake yeah. English staying up for a West Coast Orioles baseball game. <laughs> it may have happened. Why would they not play these games as rebroadcasts? 
Um, well, a few reasons. Um, number one, um, if you already know what's going to happen with the game, would you really watch it? If you're desperate enough to watch the KBO, don't you think you would stay away from the internet long enough? Like you don't have to avoid KBO box scores. Jake, how am I going to avo- avoid KBO box scores out there? They are all over the internet right now. Okay. <laughs> Bat flips galore, you know, cheerleaders doing the funeral, you know, you know, dance. It, it just, it's all over the place, Jake. I can't avoid it. Charlie, are you going to watch KBO baseball? Uh, 100%. Yeah. I, I mean, international baseball is just so fun in like different ways. And I don't know anything really about Korean baseball. So I am looking forward to what little flavors and I know about the bat flips. So I guess I know about that much. And now I know about Mike Wright. So I know about <laughs> there's going to be bat flips because Mike Wright. So I'm looking forward to what this flavor of this of this version of the sport has. I'm pumped. It's going to be great to have live sports to watch. You can't, you know, even take batting practice really right now yourself out in your own lawn, more or less. So to be able to watch real live sports. Awesome. Yeah, Jake, I, I, I've got a, you know, call a party foul here. Um, the fact that you are complaining about any baseball being on television um, just makes me question uh, your loyalty to the game. I mean, there are numerous Orioles fans that listen to this show um, that are watching Orioles games, you know, in the morning hours, um, specifically Australia. Um, I think it's going to be great to wake up at 530 in the morning. Um, my kids already wake up at 530 in the morning. I can go downstairs, grab my cup of coffee. And just like when we were kids, we were through a sports center on, and that was one of the first things I did when I first woke up in the morning. I want to be able to go on, turn ESPN on, and not see Yankees Red Sox highlights, but instead, I'm going to be able to see a meaningless baseball game that I don't have any care in the world for, and I just get to see bat flips. This sounds so much better than watching like Doc McStuffins or Paw Patrol or anything like that. And I'm hoping that my son um, gets into it with me in the morning. Um, and, you know, comes to embrace a certain team with me um, with these morning, um, you know, games. Can I complain further? Uh, Jake, this is your podcast. You can do whatever you want. This isn't my podcast, Scott. It belongs yes, to the, it Jake, belongs you to the can, people. You can complain further. You're allowed. I'm really, I'm really bummed that they're going to broadcast these games in English. I mean, I, if you I want to, you really can watch it in Twitch, it. but you've got a VPN over to Korea if you really want to do that. I would really like to hear it in the original broadcast. I think that would add a lot. See, I don't think you're thinking about this completely correct. So what I think you need to be doing is I think you need to be asking them to do it in uh, in Spanish. And I need you to have it be an SAP format um, so that you can basically flip it over and listen to it in Spanish. So that you're watching KBO games that way. All right. Serious question. Yeah. Um, you know, if this is handled right, I, I think that people can really get into it. Um, <clears throat> I think it'll require that people be able to see it, you know, when the sun's out. But that's just me. Um, but if this was handled right and people got into it, how do you think that the influence of a season, however long it lasts, so the KBO, how do you think that will influence America's tastes, uh, Americans' tastes for uh, consuming the sport of baseball? Um, I think zero. I think it's going. Really? I think it's going to uh, be interesting to us diehards, but past that, I, I don't foresee it being a, a huge draw and or moving of uh, the acceptance for baseball. 
Charlie, what do you think? Does this move the needle at all once the pandemic's over? I think it depends. I think if we find things that are just super enjoyable and exciting um, about the way that it's played over there, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think that I'm going to be terribly thrilled with uh, cheerleaders, but I am going to be pretty psyched about just bat flips. Uh, if <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't know what the nuances are going to be. Um, but I, I, I think that if there are some fun things, we're going to see those fun things brought over. Uh, the only thing I can think of that might be a negative is if we see uh, Jersey advertisements. Um, I think if that becomes more normalized, it, it already is to some degree with, with some of the other major sports, obviously soccer uh, internationally, this is all advertisements. So I think that's that to me would be a major drawback um, that I think currently exists in, in Korea, if I'm not mistaken. I am personally looking forward to seeing a disappointed Mike Wright when I don't have anger associated with the event that took place. I think that'll be very cathartic for me. So <laughs> I, I guess my question is, you know, what are some things that we are going to see different in the KBO than we are at MLB? So I, I did a little research, uh, and there is one player uh, within the KBO who happens to be uh, a former Ultimate Frisbee player, uh, and I thought that might be interesting for Charlie Hoppus. Is that true? No, that's complete bull. <laughs> <laughs> I got Charlie really excited. <laughs> I was like, I was like, tell me more about this. <laughs> uh, Charlie, we've been writing Orioles fan fiction during the <laughs> pandemic, so Scott just served up some some Charlie fan fiction, just like right <laughs> into your wheelhouse. <laughs> Thank you so much. Nick Foles is pretty much our like biggest like celebrity person that likes ultimate frisbee a bunch that plays sports, so. It's it's a low bar. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's wander our way into second base. Uh, there was a, a tweet that Scott you retweeted uh, this week. Michael Hernandez is let's just call him the Orioles' newest future potential disappointment. The Orioles are the quote unquote favorites to sign him. He's a shortstop who reminds scouts of uh, young Alex Rodriguez or Correa. Uh, he might be, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he might be good. That's exciting, right? We should be, we should be stoked about that. Yeah, except he's, he's not signed yet and he's only 16 years old. Um, we should not be excited about this guys. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's great that the Orioles names are linked, but I don't think we should be excited. This is terrifying in so many ways. So many things can go wrong now. He, we can either sign him and he can be bad or we could not sign him and then he'll be good. That's true. That's true. It, it's that whole, you know, you know, we have to have misery so other people can have happiness. Yeah, no, Jake, this is terrible news. So what we should do uh, is we should say we don't want him, and then Major League Baseball forces us to sign him because um, our names were already associated with him. Maybe we should get thrown out of more countries for international scouting. <laughs> What do you guys want from me? I'm trying here. I'm trying to gin up some excitement. Do you say gin? With with actual gin. Yeah. Gin Palmer? Yes, gin Palmer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um yeah, so look, it's I I think it's cool that the Orioles are involved uh in the discussion. It, it's just a uh, 
it adds to the feeling of the organization being competent again. Um, I don't think that we need to pay attention to things like this, but it's nice to have it happen in the background. Does that, is that fair? Um, sure. We'll, we'll go with that. And, um, I think that's as best as we can hope for with a 16 year old. Easy. Let's go to the next base. Um, Scott, third base. Yeah. The Orioles have announced uh, that they that they've announced their COVID-19 policy for games that have been uh, missed for April and May. And they have announced that they're going to be refunding 125% of the value of games missed by Birdland members, which of course are season ticket holders, for the months of April and May. And that those games can be remade um, or made up rather in 2020, should it happen, 21 or 22. Am I wrong in thinking it's actually a pretty awesome policy? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we have not had this conversation as of yet um, because we are season ticket holders and we have spent, we'll call it a decent amount of money. I'd say it's probably in the ballpark of, you know, 120, $150 uh, between the both of us for April and May. Uh, we're rolling that over, right? To get the 125%, right? Absolutely. Okay. Just want to make sure that we are okay with our money being tied up in the oil stock market. Now, we we do realize um, that even though they are offering us 125%, that a penny stock and a junk stock is still a junk stock, right? Um, I get to sit closer <laughs> and okay. watch them lose. Okay. I just want to make sure that we still realize that the the value of this membership package still is zero. And us getting 125% of a $0 back is pretty much $0. So just want to make right, sure Scott. that you don't want your money back. I, I am not the math person here. So I know, I know you're not you the math all, person. I'm going to tell you how this You graduate with a poli-sci degree at, from American University. You were the furthest from a math person I've ever met in my life. Let me tell you how this makes me feel. Okay. This makes me feel like I'm going to get a much better seat to watch a crappy game later. And that feels... Okay. I remember Turn. I remember a Jake English coming to me in December and saying, you know what would be a really good use of our money is to buy Oriole season tickets for 2020. And I said, are you sure this might be the season we want to skip? And you said, no, we need to make an investment in the team because when they are playoff contenders again, I want to be there for the whole thing. No, because they will, they will sell tickets by seniority. Uh-huh. There's no chance that you would get those tickets again. Did you know that there's a sucker born every minute? <laughs> His name is Joseph English. <laughs> I know that sucker. Uh, Charlie, what do you make of the Orioles giving 125%? I like that they do stuff like this. It just, it makes you, whether 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 you're right, Scott, or not, it, it makes you feel like they care. Um and it's nice. It's nice. I, I, I actually is, like that the Orioles gave nice. both options, saying you can either roll the money over for 125% or if you really want the refund back because you're in desperate needs and, again, you lost your job or something like that and you need the money, um, we're giving you the opportunity. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think both ways about going about it as opposed to, you know, some of the teams are, in essence, pulling the ostrich move, which is I'm going to bury my head in the sand and hopefully no one notices that we're not offering refunds. Um, so I think the Orioles did the right matter here. And as Charlie mentioned, this is a nice thing to do. Um, and it, it keeps some, some happiness there in terms of saying, all right, 
the Orioles are doing what they can as they were in terms of incentivizing season ticket holders. Um, I certainly hope, though, if the season continues to be delayed, um, that the Orioles continue to make that promise to um, employ um, various members of uh, the team. And I would also hope that Masson, for example, also does an aspect uh-huh. uh, of looking at um, continue to employ um, self-employed members as well that are I- impacted by this as well. Um, yeah, that's that's the best way I can put it. True, true. All good points. All right, let's uh, let's shuffle our way into home plate, and I'd like to talk about you know one item that's that's come up in the news uh, a couple times recently has been the fanless game at Cannon Yards, and it's it's come up a lot in reference to oh we may have to have more games this year or even in the future in front of no crowds. And that's the context in which the fanless game at Canyon Yards has taken taken place. I'm a little disappointed, you know, five years after after it took place, um, that we're not having a discussion about the fanless game at Canyon Yards and why it took place. Correct. Yeah, the narrative and, have shifted to just what was going on inside in the stadium, as opposed yeah. to the entire demographic around the stadium, as it were. And I, I really like, and you know. This is this is why we need the Baltimoreans, right? Like, um, send up the bat signal. We we need them back. But, um, you know, while we deal with uh, a national and international health crisis, and we we know that that health crisis is impacting, you know, communities in an in an unequal way, on top of every other reality that happens in an unequal way. I'm shocked that we're not. Uh, you know, looking back at the fanless game and reflecting back on why did that happen and what's happened since, right? What what was it all for? If we can we can uh, you know bypass talking about the issues after the fact, I I don't know. I I don't know the right way to bring it up. I don't want to you know be accused by Buck Showalter of talking about things that I don't know about. But I, I will say this: I'm I'm disappointed with the narrative that's taken place around the fanless game because I think the fanless game deserves more well, than link linkages to oh we may have to forgo watching baseball. I mean, Jake, I think it comes back down to um, if you look at it, it's a really easy way to, uh, in essence, potentially draw clicks. Um, but I really feel like it's a lazy narrative. Like you said, um, it it could go so much deeper and I have seen a few articles go into that narrative. Um, but I don't know if there has been a really deep narrative in terms of looking at what changes have occurred on that basis. Um, so we don't, we all know why the game didn't take place due to, you know, player safety, but also public safety. Um, and we even remember the games, you know, that were being had during the riots too, where, um, members uh, within the stadium were not allowed to leave the stadium at certain points too. But I feel like there hasn't been conversations in that regard of what is public safety going to look like? Um, you know, is it going to be a matter of if the stadiums are empty um, or is there going to be a blockade or is there going to be fans again lined up right outside of the fences being able to look into the games just like that happened on those empty games? Um, are we going to see protest? Um, perhaps not from the 
given demographic that we saw during the Freddie Gray rides, but perhaps from another group that might be a little more right leaning, um, as it were, um, maybe that are high stepping at the same time at that point. Um, but uh, again, I, I think these are the kind of conversations that really need to be part of that narrative. Um, and I, I think just saying, well, look, an empty stadium is an empty stadium. That's not true whatsoever. Um, and it's just a, it's a false narrative and it's a lazy narrative in my opinion, um, as it relates to storytelling um, from the authors that you know have penned those works. Well, I mean, let me say, you know, I I, I feel like there's a little bit of uh, I feel like there's a little bit of uh, lack of credulity for you know a white guy from the suburbs to be uh, this fired up. About hey, 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 hey! You own a property in Pigtown. You are allowed to <laughs> speak briefly about it on your podcast uh, within your your multiple properties that you own at this point. I do. And I love, and I love Baltimore, but I will say this, I do care deeply about this. And so if you're listening and you have strong opinions, please slide into our DMS at bird's eye view. B A L. I would love to chat with you. Yeah. About it. <laughs> All right. Have we, have we gone from the, the lighthearted to the, to the deep uh, enough to uh, skip out of around the bases? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can, um, in essence, pull up with the slight injury um, that we've had. And um, I think it's important that we don't just fit, focus on the physical piece of everything that's going on and also focus on the mental piece of everything that is going on as well. So, um, Jake, I, I think it's appropriate that maybe me and Charlie do a little um, self-diagnosis on you um, and maybe just talk a little bit about um, some of the some of the issues that are going through and how um, baseball and sports can play a role um, during this time. All right, so for those that don't follow us on Twitter, um, I, we skipped last week. Um, you know, life decided to take um, a, a giant, um, a giant dump uh, on myself. Um, uh, unfortunately, my myself, I, we lost our fourteen-year-old um, Labrador mixed mutt that we had rescued from the Humane Society uh, that we've had since two thousand seven, pretty much since me and my wife were married. Um, and again, it's one of those things where you hear people like, oh, he's part of the family. Um, you know, he, he I'm going to miss him every single day. And, and it, that's just the truth. Um, you know, it's a it's a it, an individual that, you know, helped to raise my three kids. Um, it's a it, it's a part of the family that um, slept in bed with us. Um, sometimes he would be the only one sleeping in bed with me. Um, and he would just be that loyal compatriot of, um, you know, going in basically making sure that no one came up to the door without, you know, having permission to do so. Um, no one coming even onto our street without having permission to do so. Um, and just feeling people out, including, you know, Jake, um, you know, feeling up his leg on occasion too, just to, uh, basically make sure that he was okay and that, uh, he could, you know, stay down in SD studios. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's one of these matters where, again, I had to post, we had to postpone the, the, the show and, I felt really bad about it, um, but at the same time, I had to do what was right for family. And, you know, it, it got me to thinking and it got all of us to thinking about um, this aspect of everything that we're going through now 
um, in this in this world that we're living in in regards to COVID. Um, you know, the anxiety, depression. And with May being, you know, Mental Health Month, um, I thought it was a really appropriate time to maybe have this conversation, as it were, um, and and try to, you know, dig deep into it. So um, we actually were going to have Charlie on the show last Monday, and, um, you know, he he had to push off, too. Um, and like I said, it was just it worked out for the best of us. So, Charlie, I mean, what do you make of this whole time that we're living in in terms of, um, you know, loss, as it were, and just all the aspects of um, you know, how difficult times are right now. Yeah. Well, first I want to say, you know, of course, I'm so sorry for your loss, Scott. That's, uh, it's so hard to lose something like that. Um, last Monday, this is a separate thing, but last Monday I, um, lost a, in terms of was broken up with a relationship that I had been in for almost five years, um, and similarly, I'm I'm grieving for, you know, not the, the death of somebody, but for the loss of something that was that was really precious. And I think it's really challenging um, when you look around the world and the world is going sort of going to shit all around us. Are we am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you probably OK with that. <laughs> OK, sorry. Uh, but but, you know, the world's falling apart all around us and it's hard to and and you know people are dying and people are losing their jobs and it's hard to uh in some in some cases it's hard to feel like you are allowed to grieve for things that aren't you know the loss of your family because that's happening to a lot of people out there um and for for folks that haven't lost a pet and aren't going through a tough breakup you know, you maybe didn't feel like you lost something even as big as that, but losing baseball, you know, we've all lost things throughout this, this stretch. And, um, you know, we're, we can talk about mental health here in a little bit, but losing things and the feeling of loss and, and it's just so important to give ourselves permission to grieve over the things that we've lost. Even if the only thing that we've lost is the Orioles baseball season because the Orioles baseball season, I know that this is true for me and I know it's true for, for you guys. It's been one of the things that's propped me up and made me who I am since I was 10 years old. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when we look at these, these matters and in, in terms of loss and everything um, and, and to put it in the context, like we just did, you know, you see people um, literally losing their lives, losing their jobs. And you think to yourself, Okay, well, this is really a first world problem uh, compared to everything else. But again, that doesn't mean that you can't feel grief um, and anxiety to the matter. I mean, um, it still is impactful um, to those of us um, that are living it on a daily basis. So, you know, it's it's the same thing of like, um, you know, as a child, um, if I fall down and I scrape my knee, the pain is still there. Yes, I didn't have to amputate my leg. But the pain is still there, um, and we need to recognize that pain. You don't go and just say, eh, suck it up, it's just a scrape. I mean, you could do that if you're a terrible father or a terrible mother. Um, but in reality, if you have a kid and they scrape their knee, you're picking them up, you're taking care of them, you're listening to them, um, you're consoling them. And it's so interesting to me that you know we, we take scrapes and cuts and stuff like that and scratches um, in, in that manner. But when it comes to loss and remorse um, and, and anxiety in general, 
we're just like, eh, you just need to get over it. Um, and it's just so interesting to me that, you know, that's the way we perceive is the way we, we should be treating other people. And, and I mean, to your point, there's, I used to coach, as you alluded to, I used to coach ultimate Frisbee. I still coach ultimate Frisbee. I used to coach it at the collegiate level. And, um, some of my former players, uh, called me when they found out that their season was going to be canceled and, you know, they're, they're crying and, and they're upset and they, they don't have the words for it and they're in mourning and they feel guilty about being in mourning, uh, because nobody cares about ultimate Frisbee. Nobody cares about the results of their season. The only people that had ever cared were the people that were on that particular team, right? It's, it's same thing if it was, uh, uh, a a local rec team or if you if you were invested in some sort of small town sport um the only people that cared were the people that were invested and so for them to lose something that nobody else understands it, it's it's hard and i think giving ourselves permission means that you will also be more likely to understand when somebody else has lost something and that level of empathy is just sorely lacking and sorely needed uh, where we are right now in, in our whole country, really. Um, but where we are in this in this COVID epidemic and pandemic, I should say. Yeah. So, I mean, Charlie, you mentioned about the role that sports has. And I, I know, you know, as an ultimate Frisbee coach, you know, you understand um, how big of a deal sports can play. But I think you make a really good point in terms of, you know, Orioles baseball and in essence, um, you know, we are not, you know, players on the Orioles. We're just casual observers and or fans of the game. But it makes such a big deal in terms of our life. As you mentioned, you, you know, you've been a fan since as a kid. And, and me and Jacob talked about this multiple times in terms of it just being a constant, um, a white noise in the background. And I think that's what I miss the most about it is, um, you know, while we live this life that we currently do, um, there's almost kind of a monotony of it. It's, it's almost, you know, me working from home and again, complaining about first world problems, but it's this issue as it relates to breaking away and understanding when is it personal time? When is it work time? And when do I segregate? You know, the area that I'm currently doing this podcast in is the same exact area I'm now coming down to and working for 12 hours straight, um, in terms of writing emails and in, in trying to maintain our business, so I, I think not having that escape, um, that fantasy, that paradise, as it were, um, you know, that field of dreams, um, I think that is so important to have that break of the monotony. Um, and I, I think when we look at it in terms of sports, I think that's where I really miss it in terms of it being broken up, even though it brings heartbreak more times than not, um, being an Orioles fan, it still helps to put in perspective um, everything else that's kind of going around in my life. Uh, I mean, Jake, we've talked about this in terms of life and baseball, but uh, we haven't included you yet in this empathy slash emotional laydown. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think it's really interesting. And the empathy that you talked about, Charlie, is is, is interesting to me because I, I think about what we have going on right now in the world with, with uh, COVID-19. And I think that there are a lot of people experiencing for the first time uh, things that they've they've um, they've observed but not really understood in a first person way, right? Um, 
you know, if you look at the most serious, there there are people who have, you know, lost their jobs due to situations outside of their control and are in need of assistance, whether that be from friends, family, community, or government. Um, you know, who may have had a, a, an opinion about other people who depended on other people, whether it be friends, family, uh, uh, community, or, or government before. Um, and, you know, there, there are probably people out there and, uh, you know, I count myself among them who are experiencing like a, a deep uh, level of understanding of, of feeling anxious, of having anxiety over something um, and not, you know, being able to, to necessarily control that or, or uh, deal with it like, like they usually would. I think it's, you know, Scott keeps talking about first world problems. I feel very much that way. Like when I start to feel anxious, I, I, you know, immediately dismiss it as a boy. I am super lucky. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, my family is, is well, that my, you know, um, professionally so far, knock on wood, unaffected, um, but, you know, when you talk, Charlie, about, you know, giving yourself the, the opportunity to grieve, even over the small things, I wonder how we can be um, be productive about, you know, feeling anxiety, having that be okay, being able to communicate it to other people effectively, and also using that experience to build bridges of empathy um, with people who may deal with anxiety on a regular basis you know, to now have a, a kind of shared experience in a small way. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's, it's hard, it's hard to talk about, uh, mental health. If one, you've never experienced any sort of larger, um, mental health issue before, or two, you've never talked about it before. It, it feels like this, this big and scary thing. Um, and, and you know, part of part of it, it it is it is scary. Um, I have I have bipolar disorder, and uh, it affects me every day. It affects me every day, and and it's affected me harder in this pandemic, certainly. Um, but I've watched other people that that do not have and have spoken to other people that that are experiencing depression and anxiety in particular, um, with regularity and they, they don't know what it is or how to handle it. And I think it, it goes to show going back to empathy. It's so important to, to pull down the stigma that surrounds mental illness, because if we're able to talk about those things, if we're able to, if I'm able to just comfortably come on a podcast and say, yes, I have bipolar disorder and, if people really understood what that means and you know, they, many of your listeners, you know, some of them will not understand that. Um, if people understand it's going to create a bridge of this is what this person deals with. This is what this person has and, and experiences in their life right now, because of, uh, because of COVID-19 and the necessary realities of quarantining, that uptick in depression, that uptick in um, in anxiety is creating a, a huge group of people that are experiencing something for the first time. If we're able to talk about that, and I think again, going back to going back to giving yourself permission, we talked about giving yourself permission to grieve. Uh, 
it's great that you are thankful for the things that you have. And I think that that's important. But you should give yourself permission to say, man, anxiety is terrible, you know, and and this thing that I'm experiencing is terrible because it is because it is it's it's something that's that's taking who you are as a person and removing just a little bit of that control from you. Um, And that is overwhelming, you know. So I think in general, giving ourselves permission to grieve whatever the thing is, whatever the scale of the loss is, um, and the scales can be huge here or they can be really, really small, um, giving ourselves permission to grieve and then giving ourselves permission to, you know, be scared, feel pain um, about things that are going on with us mentally. I think men in particular, we really struggle with that. So I, I, it's opening up, uh, talking about it. And even if not talking about it, at least within ourselves, not shrugging it off, not rubbing some dirt on it. Like it's a scrape, like Scott was talking about, but really investing into it, trying to figure out what it is, trying to figure out coping skills for it. Um, and allowing the pain to be the pain. Uh, I think it's really important. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's, you know, we we talked a little bit about self-reflection, and I, and I think that's important for, for, for the individual, but I, I'm also very much of this, you know, aspect of how important community is, too. So, uh, you know, Charlie, as you mentioned, we're all on edge right now. Everyone has, in essence, a, a heightened aspect of, as it relates to anxiety, um, that we're all kind of on right now. Um, I'd say those of us that are on medication for it right now and have gone through various kind of coping strategies for it, maybe in a better off position than, than others have in the past, because we were looking at it and realized like, yep, I I understand how this is going. Um, (laughs) but, uh, there are good days and there are bad days for that as well, I would say. Um, but I think it's so important for us to, you know, do this self-recognition piece and then also apply it going forward. So, um, you know, in this world that we live on, we are, um, always constantly on demand, constantly being asked to do something, constantly being asked to to be someone. Um, and if we don't live up to those expectations, um, we oftentimes look at to ourselves and saying, you know, am I who I am supposed to be? And, you know, I, I think, you know, some of the articles that came out this offseason with Chris Davis really spoke to me pretty well on that regard of you've got Chris Davis signing this, you know, mammoth contract and, you know, just a great guy. I mean, Jake, we've talked about it before, and you, we all want to love the guy. Um, but he's having a hard time, in essence, um, loving himself. I mean, he's going out there and doing things for the community. Um, but he just wants to go out there and and live up to that contract, and, and he can't do that. Um, and it's this just affirmation, both from an internal standpoint, but also from a community standpoint, that I think is so important, um, not just for a major league baseball player, but for all of us. So, you know, I think one of the things I would say too, in, in terms of you know this given world that we're living in, as I hope um, now that we are you're seeing the way we need to interact with each other, that perhaps there's a little bit more understanding going forward of, hey, you need to take a mental health day today. Go take a mental health day today. Like just. We'll, we'll see you back in the office tomorrow. Like, no big deal. Like, I don't need a doctor's note or anything like that. Just just go. Like, don't even worry about it. Right. Whereas before, it's just like, why are you going home? And it's just like, I don't need to tell you why I'm going home. I just need to go home. Like, I don't feel well. And I think it's that emotional understanding um, of the matter 
um, that is going to be so important. And that's not just at the workplace, but that's also on a, a friend, friend, neighbor, friend to friend aspect, a neighbor to neighbor, um, and just a community basis of just making sure that people have the ability to um, see inward um, what's going on in their heads. And even if they can't see inwards what's going on in their heads, just giving them the benefit of the doubt, um, in essence, not judging them based off of what's on the surface. So what else do we want to add to this kind of you know era that we're living in? I mean, are there any other kind of things that we should be aware of as it relates to um, COVID, anxiety, depression that, you know, we really feel are important kind of going f- forward um, in terms of just kind of leading life uh, to the fullest. Go ahead, Jake. Here's a, here's a dumb question. You guys might cut this, but um, all right. So if we need to do a better job, you know, particularly us men, as you say, Charlie, of uh, communicating, what do we need to do, particularly us men, um, what do we need to do on the receiving end of that? How, how do we help one another in a time where we're all feeling further away physically uh, to make sure that we are uh, present uh, for one another and receptive and what is actually helpful? I think the number one thing that I, I want is somebody that has bipolar disorder. The thing that I wish that I could have, uh, the world that I wish I could live in, um, aside from just not having bipolar disorder, is that everybody understands what bipolar disorder is, um, what it means for me, what I have to go through. Uh, because I think I, I don't need them to love me or give me additional, uh, I don't know, give me additional special treatment. I just want people to understand because I think if they understand it, um, like Scott alluded to, when I just need a day. Um, it'll mean that my next three weeks will be better if I just can have this one day. Um, right now, you talking about your mental illness publicly can, I mean, can have you lose your job, can have you lose relationships. It's it's a hard thing to uh, to square. So. On to that end, Jake, to answer your question, what I would what I would like is for men to do what we do with all of our sports heroes and do some research and <laughs> read about, you know, what what is in, what is anxiety really? What is depression really? Not not I have felt anxious, just like feel better, dude. What what does it mean, you know? Um, what are real symptoms of depression? It's not just cheer up, right? It's, it's this chemical thing that is happening, um, either because of situational or because of a full on chemical imbalance, uh, that is always there. Um, so it's brain chemistry. How do we, how do we, how does it work? And if we can understand it on some base level, uh, I think we become better listeners. We come, become more willing to listen or, we don't have to listen at all. We just have to hear somebody say, I'm dealing with this, and we get it to, to some level or another. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you, Charlie. I don't think there's ever going to be a situation that anybody ever is going to understand. I mean, even someone that has anxiety and depression, um, you know, what triggers somebody from an anxiety and depression standpoint, for, for, for myself, for example, that has anxiety and depression, is going to be completely different 
than somebody else that has anxiety and depression. I mean, I remember as a kid, it it was a matter where I would get anxiety over um, wearing shirts that had buttons on it. And again, it's stupid, but it's, it's the aspect of, you know, that's something that really bothered me in terms of um, everything that goes about it. Um, And again, it's, it's not so much the, the understanding of, you know, what I'm going through, but it's the understanding that I, that that person is going through something and, um, you know, there's probably nothing that you're going to be able to say or do to say, oh, just get over it or what can I do to make you happy? It, it's not that simple. Um, again, it's more this empathetic standpoint of just saying, hey, I'm here for you if you just need to talk at any point um, and, you know, just know that I'm thinking about you. And that's just enough. Like, sometimes it's the only way you're going to get past it is by doing your own journey and your self-reflection. But occasionally you also need someone to grab you by the hand and walk you away from the darkness at the same point. Um, and like I said, it's, it's, it's not one or the other. It's just, it's good to have that option that, you know, if you need to grab a life jacket, um, to be pulled to safety, you know, there's somebody out there that you can always call on, um, to, to kind of come and help you out. And I, I, I love that thought. And I think one, one last thing that you can do. Um, to try to be a good listener, um, or to be proactive in your own self is we take, we take annual or biannual physicals in which we go and we get our heart rate checked. We make sure everything's okay. Right. Um, about to say Jake normally gets his heart checked like on a monthly basis, but that's another matter. (laughs) (laughs) But you, you have these things. It, It makes no sense why we don't have at least annual or perhaps biannual check-ins for mental health. There, there's no reason for that to not exist. And it would create better understanding of other people, sure, but it would create better understanding of yourself and your own brain um, and the, yourself and how you operate. Uh, and there's nothing more valuable than that. So I, I think being proactive, since that's something that doesn't just exist, being proactive and seeking out mental health care, um, even if you are, quote unquote, mentally healthy, I think is really, really important and really gives you a better understanding of both yourself and other people. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's such a critical skill set as well. And again, it's not just about, you know, uh, a diagnosis, as it were, but um, it's it's also about making sure that um, you have the ability to to show that empathy. And again, I think that's a social skill that um, is slowly starting to deteriorate over over the ages. Um, that certainly concerns me. But again, it's you know that ability to talk to people um, through a, a mental health evaluation. But also, like you said, Charlie, there's a science behind this. So, you know, we've got um, various levels of chemical receptors and chemical levels uh, from a neurotransmitter standpoint that um, is obviously you know messing up in both of our heads. Um, and, and it's one of those matters why. I take medication every single day, and I know that if I don't, um, I feel off is the best way to put it, um, and I know I feel off. Um, so I, I think it's also important to say it's important to have the ability to talk to someone who had that diagnosis, but the other standpoint is there also needs to be readily available uh, treatments available to the given populace, as it were, um, and not for it to kind of be like, well, you've got to go to this doctor, and then you've got to go to this doctor, and then you've got to go to this doctor, um, and it takes this whole rigmarole in order to get something that, you know, should be a basic necessity and or need 
um, in terms of basically maintaining um, some semblance of uh, a normal reality for a given individual. Um, and as an individual who has um, been in a very first world situation, um, it is amazing to me how difficult it is to navigate um, that journey, as it were. Um, even being in my situation, I consider myself quite blessed. Um, it's hard for me to imagine what it might be for those that are less fortunate to try to navigate um, you know, that given aspect of the healthcare system. All right, well, that got really deep. Um, so to be, <laughs> to be a little bit more playful, um, I, I, I have a, one question for you, Charlie. Um, as an individual that, I guess, has suffered from uh, numerous uh, episodes of anxiety and depression before, and as being an Orioles fan, I, I had to ask this question of, um, you know, what is one of the most anxiety-inducing moments for you within Orioles history? Oh, I mean, easily, easily anytime Armando Benitez pitched. Oh, good one. <laughs> easily. I, I can't think of, because we've had, we've had lots of pitchers like Armando Benitez, but it mattered when he pitched. Yeah. You know, it, he was pitching in important moments uh, for some of the best teams that yeah. we've watched in our lifetime. So Armando Benitez pitching ever. I think is is the answer. So, so in terms of this conversation as it relates to anxiety and depression, it's a really interesting scenario to me for for Orioles because anxiety <laughs> and depression to me is directly correlated back to some of the biggest games ever that I've ever attended, and some of them are positive, and some of them were negative. Um, you know, one of the games that I can immediately point to and say that's a game that I had my most anxiety at probably ever at an Orioles game is the statue game for Cal Ripken. Um, and it was, again, we look back at that and we're like, wow, it was a great game, and the Orioles won. But I remember sitting right next to Jake, and I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, the Yankees are going to do this again. I can't believe this is going to happen. What if I never, ever see the Orioles ever again uh, You know, go to a playoff? Like, What's that going to look like? What, how are people going to judge me going forward as an Orioles fan, like what are people going to look at? You know, will I really waste my entire life following a team um, that never is able to achieve a world series in my lifetime. And again, you look back on, you're just like, what's well, stupid. Like, why would I get so worked up over <laughs> a, a game in that regard? But it's that, you know, cycling downwards as it were in terms of getting um, so anxiety inducing and again, I, I think it also comes back down to that anxiety can lead into depression and frustration. I, I come back to um, ALDS Game 1, which we happened to run into you uh, in 2012 and uh, mm-hmm. took some pictures and everything like that. And again, besides the three-hour rain delay, my wife being, I think it was uh, seven months pregnant, um, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a great evening, as it were, to, in essence, celebrate the Orioles coming back into the playoffs for the first time, got to see friends. Um, and then of course, Jim Johnson blows the game and the, the evening spiraled downwards from there to the point of, you know, anxiety hit, um, anger triggered from the anxiety. Uh, I believe I threw my backpack probably close to two blocks, um, at one point, um, (laughs) uh, and getting back to my car and realizing that the garage was locked up, um, and then trying to figure out. So I, I literally, you know, managed to get a ride home with Jake, which thank God he was still available to take me home. But I literally just sat there in quiet and I didn't say a single word. And I just got in the car 
and I just went into my house and I just you know threw a blanket over myself and just didn't talk. And I think back to moments like that of you know this aspect of anxiety um, and anger and fear, um, and it's such a part of my Orioles fandom. And a part of me wonders why do I continue to do it. Um, <laughs> And then I think it's, it's because it, it's because it's a relief for all those things. Well, too. exactly, and that's the whole point. Is like as much as there's this anxiety, anger, and fear, there's a relief, um, and there's that that primal, um, you know, yelling and cheering that like me being in the 2014 ALDS game too with Delman Young, like that was like my soul coming out of my body and just like being so excited to basically release all that anxiety, fear, and depression. Fortunately, it came all back in the ALCS, but that was a whole nother matter where I started to trash talk a 10-year-old. But he kind of deserved it, to be honest. So, I mean, he, he called a balk when it wasn't a balk. But, um, but, but again, I think these are important aspects for us to think about as it relates to Orioles history. So, Jake, how about you? What's your uh, most anxiety-induced Orioles moment in history? Well, I think, I think the games that mattered most were probably, were probably right up there, like the, uh, the 2012 wild card game we uh so scott and i are part of a, a group that eats dinner together every friday night or at least we did when the world existed um and we watched the wild card game uh at at uh, one of the dinner crew's house and i could like i couldn't sit still i was pacing like a madman like a like a caged animal uh just because i was too pent up and nervous to to even exist right um, and, uh, you know, I, I thought about, um, we talk a lot about the Delman Young game where Scott's wife, Carrie and I showed up late because we couldn't find a parking space within seven miles of Baltimore. Um, but while I was, you know, desperately, it, it literally was to, seven miles. Like my wife literally <laughs> was just like, you don't, don't, don't want to know how long we walked to get here. And I'm like, it can't be that bad. And she's like, no, it was really that bad. <laughs> While we were searching for a parking space, listening to an Orioles playoff game on the radio to which I had a ticket in my pocket was just like the, you know, again, I was just a giant ball of, of stress and, and just like, you know, couldn't be unraveled until we got back to the park. I, I think it's only the times that really matter. Like, I remember being mad, uh, you know, when Michael Gibbons blew the, uh, Michael Gibbons, listen to me, uh, Michael, uh, Michael, Michael Gonzalez, Michael Gonzalez, a, a save, you know, on opening day in what 2011 or something like that. I, I mentioned the Mother's Day massacre, which is infuriating. But the things that really like get me on the emotional level is is only when it matters most. And I think that's the oddity of sports is um, when things are at their peak. It's when we have the most emotional investment, and it's either going to come out extremely positive or extremely negative. Um, and I guess for myself that, you know, has anxiety and depression and anger issues along with it, um, it can spiral really quickly to the point of, in essence, socially isolating or attacking other people for that given aspect as well. So, um, an interesting aspect of being a fan of baseball, I guess, and, uh, something that I need to reflect on going forward. Um, so coming to a close on this given subject, anything else that we want to talk on as it relates to kind of mental health and or sports? I know for me, one of the things that's been helping my mental health a bunch is uh, different types of distractions outside of sports. So for me, that's been 
binging TV and I just got a Nintendo Switch um, and, and playing Breath of the Wild, which is a Zelda game. Uh, I never played. I'm not a video game person at all, at all. Um, but for some reason, it's very zenful. And it. Uh, so, you know, Charlie, are you really things, telling me that you've never played a Pokemon game before? Oh, I've played. I've, it's not that I've never played Pokemon before. Okay. I've, play, I've, I've never played Zelda before. OK, gotcha. Uh, but I'm not much of a I'm not much of a of a uh, a video game person. I think I had. I forget which one I had. Maybe yellow Pokemon yellow on like Game Boy Color or something. Classic. Uh, yeah. So I I'd never played any Zelda, um, and this this like beautiful game comes along, and it's so again, it's just so zenful that it uh, it's been one of the, almost like a form of meditation. Um, and then there's so many great television uh, it, where it is is just outstanding. How old are How old are your all's kids? So uh, Jake has a 13-year-old. Uh, stop it, stop it, stop <laughs> it. She's 12 and will continue to be so forever. <laughs> and then minor, minor 12 and 9. And then I've got a, a 9-year-old, uh, a 7-year-old, and, and a 2-year-old. Uh, and my 9-year-old um, perhaps his eyes for Jake's 9-year-old. So that's going to be a really awkward wedding um, if it happens to occur um, <laughs> in the next, we'll call it, 10 years. I mean, I know that would only make them 19, but knowing my daughter, that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> swooping in can i make can i make i've been really big into uh what i think is really quality uh kids television can okay. i make some recommendations absolutely Do it. all right so first off i don't know if either of you have seen avatar the last airbender that's an old one i was actually just showing my kids season one and uh my daughter i believe is hooked on it uh so i yes. believe we are going to be watching that uh, and I've talked to my wife about some of the themes of it. And she's just like, do you think she's ready for that? And I said, I, I think she's ready for it. Like the son doesn't get it at all. I said, I think she's ready for it. And I said, and she's just, she's got that similar um, anxiety slash depression starting to build up. And I'm like, it's the perfect time for her. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Avatar, the last airbender um, is, I think, especially, uh, we're talking Especially about the M Night Shyamalan Shyamalan version, right? No, no, we are not. <laughs> we are. I'm. I'm not going to even respond to that. Um, that's that's bait. Um, w- welcome to Bird's Eye View. <laughs> that's, that's bait, and I'm not taking it. Um, but but Avatar: The Last Airbender, I think, is perfect. That that nine to thirteen, twelve, excuse me, uh, nine to twelve age is kind of perfect. Twelve I'm, forever. Twelve forever. I'm a huge fan of a show called Steven Universe, yep, um, which aired on uh, Cartoon Network. Just recently finished up its run, um, and that show again, very very positive shows that start out very cartoony and lighthearted, and then delve into very real um, and really important things. Uh, I think Avatar talks a lot. I think especially about sort of what it's like to be a good citizen of the world. <laughs> Um, which is, I think, really critical in the time that we live in. Like I said, we are constantly and battling Steven against Universe the. Talks uh, a lot about. We're constantly battling against the Fire Nation, is in in my opinion. So uh, that's, that's yeah the, the daily yeah. action. And and we are the Fire Nation at yeah, the same time. Absolutely. Right? It's uh, it's really it's a really insightful show that that really stands the test of time. Uh, Steven Universe looks a lot at empathy and trying to find the good in people and trying to find the good in yourself. And, uh, they're 
they're great shows, not just for kids, but they're great shows for adults too. Um, I'm watching them and have watched them without any, any kids. Um, so highly recommend to anybody that has um, kids, I'd say pretty much, I guess they're, they're uh, TV seven or whatever. Yeah. I think it's seven plus uh, for both of those at this given time. But again, uh, I, I completely agree with you, Charlie. I'd say if you're in that, I'd say seven to 12 range, you're in probably good shape. Like I said, I think nine is probably a little bit better age in terms of grasping um, some of the more complex issues there. Um, mm-hmm. But two really good shows. My, my brother loves Steven universe and uh, he actually, um, you know, suffers from bipolar um, as well. Um, I believe coming from my mom who is undiagnosed and claims that she has no issues, but that's another matter. Um, but yeah, just a really great show. Um, but like I said, both of those are, are great. And I, like I said, Last Airbender is one of my personal favorites of all time. Jake, how about you? What are you watching on TV right now? I am uh, I am watching next to nothing. Okay. Um, yeah. So thanks for playing. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> my kids my kids have uh, recently rediscovered America's Funniest Home Videos. Okay. Which um, <laughs> I find. I find entertaining that they find it so entertaining. Um, I, I guess, you know, I guess people getting hit in the crotch over and over again is just a timeless, universal uh, joy. Yeah, no matter what happens in this world that we live in, um, I think we all can take a little bit of joy in terms of, um, you know, crotchal pain. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't think there'll be an age, um, whether you are, you know, 7, 13, or, you know, 73. Um, that crotchal pain won't be um, a funny aspect. Just show empathy afterwards uh, to the given individual. But in the immediate moment, <laughs> there you, can, you, go. you can certainly laugh at it. That's perfectly fine. I mean, it's not an issue whatsoever. But could there be like a more uh, perfect metaphor for Orioles fandom than than uh, you know like communal watching of of crotch, crotch pain? Yeah, they're set up to be Orioles fans. Absolutely. This is good for you. This is good news that they enjoy this. And like I said, I think it's so important, um, you know, to have these conversations going forward. And I would spur all of our audience to, um, in essence, do the same. You know, I would talk to people about this, even if you are not a suffering individual yourself, but talk to other people that, you know, um, are in your lives to to see how they're doing. Um, Your kids, your daughters, your sons your wife, your father, um, your mother. I mentioned before about my mother. Um, and I think it's such a critical um, area that is such an ignored portion of our day in and day out life. And I think now more than ever, um, it's important for us to all get in tune um, with that aspect of our lives and the empathy. Um, because as much as physical health is so important right now with us putting masks up and everything, um, equally important is making sure that our mental health is preserved now and going forward um, with the relationships that we are going to continue to have and build going forward in the future. With that, why don't we go ahead and blow the save? Jake, take it away. Man, I'm I'm really glad that we I'm really glad that we talked about it being okay to be sad over over uh, dumb stuff because you know we we talked a little bit 
uh, earlier about uh, a couple episodes ago about my son breaking his arm right before we we got locked in the house. He was going to miss like, baseball season because of that, right? Yeah, he's he's just about recovered, um, so uh, he can take the brace off now. And so we've been playing a little bit of ball because he he you know wants to get back to it, wants to get back to it. And so we've been you know playing some modified games. I've been throwing him, and he's catching you know not throwing back that kind of thing. Uh, but we've been able to play a little bit more over the last couple of days, and it's really reminded me of, of how much I just missed playing ball and, and um, super bummed because, you know, his Little League season got wiped out, and that's something that we do together that I really enjoy. And so I was just sad about uh, about missing out on baseball this year. Um, and, uh, you know, again, it seems like a real first-world problem. Oh, I have to you know, stay inside and, and be safe instead of uh, playing baseball. But yeah, it, it really is a bummer. And, you know, it is a bummer to have, you know, my kids, uh, you know, summer of, of baseball that he really enjoys just being wiped out. Uh, but it was a, a nice reminder that, you know, when all of this does end, um, baseball will be there for us again. And it will be something that we can reconnect to and, you know, it'll be uh, one of the things that we continue to do moving forward. I will say so, yeah. that, that he is going to dominate at the Birdland Bash this year. <laughs> he will be he will be quite good. He will um, be much better than his father ever could have been. He was that way in T-ball. Absolutely. Hey, Charlie, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. I... I honestly needed to pick me up after the past week that I've had um, and getting a chance to talk with you all. Um, it's been a while and I miss you guys. So this was really special. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Just hey. because we're socially distancing doesn't mean that we can't have a social connection as it were. And heck, <laughs> if that's not what a podcast is for, what's it for? Hey, Charlie, Charlie, and enough of the niceties gloves off, man. I I miss you on the on the airwaves and and frankly the lack of Charlie in my ear holes is is something over which I'm bitter um, as a not watcher of Arrested Development but super enjoyer of Orioles Spastics you done me wrong man and <laughs> and if the only thing I can do to trick you back onto uh, a Baltimore sports podcast is invite you on it's gonna happen it's on. <laughs> well have me on have me on another time I, I had a great time maybe uh maybe next time we'll be able to talk about some uh happier things talk about some baseball maybe yeah we'll, ba- we'll bounce it all we're, out we're orioles fans i i don't think you understand how this works <laughs> <laughs> and that that is our show Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Also, if you're really bored, go check out Oriole Spastics as well on those given platforms as well. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over social media on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeview, B-A-L. Charlie, where would I tweet at you? 
Uh, I am just Charles Hoppes, H-O-P-P-E-S, and that is it. I don't have a don't have anything else to plug other than yeah find old Orioles spastics episodes on youtube actually there's a good handful there you go and if you want some really good wine charlie makes some excellent wine (laughs) in the seattle region different different charlie hoppus but uh (laughs) i have we do get each other's uh emails sometimes well when it comes to Orioles spastics please tell your friends about this show (laughs) and with that baltimore and beyond i will bid you all a fond Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Please be safe out there. Keep social distancing. And let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.